Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Hi, Inside the Vatican listeners, it's Colleen. The episode you're about to hear was recorded on February 23rd, the day before Russia invaded central Ukraine in an attempt to take Kiev. The conflict has escalated quickly, with the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Perelin, insisting on Thursday that there is still time for a diplomatic solution. Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill, whose church is closely aligned with the Russian government, called for restoring peace and avoiding civilian casualties. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Ukraine is set to declare a state of emergency as tensions with Russia boil over. President Vladimir Putin says Russian lawmakers have given him the green light to send so-called peacekeepers into Ukraine. But one look at the arsenal that's built up around the border, and it's clear that Russia is preparing for war. As the threat of war in Ukraine escalates, Pope Francis has called for peace while walking a diplomatic tightrope. Yesterday, the FSSP, the Fraternity of St. Peter, issued a short statement that stunned many Catholics. Francis has recognized the FSSP's right to continue saying the traditional Latin Mass. The Pope has given a traditionalist group of priests special permission to continue celebrating the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass. But is it really a change from Traditionis Custodes, Pope Francis's decree that placed restrictions on the Latin Mass last year? Pope Francis has opened a symposium on the priesthood that has gathered priests, bishops, and theologians from around the world to the Vatican. And the Vatican hosted a conference where the most challenging topics facing today's priests were discussed. Jerry and I recap what the Pope had to say. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Terry. Good afternoon from a sunny, almost spring day in Rome, Colleen. Is it warming up there? It's warming up here. It's beautiful weather here, but there's a lot of concern over what's happening in the Ukraine. Uh, because if the situation unravels there, we're going to, each of us is going to suffer in different ways. At the end of his general audience, Pope Francis asked for prayers to prevent war from breaking out in Ukraine. Western leaders have condemned a decision by the Russian President Vladimir Putin to recognize two breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine as independent states. On Monday, Putin ordered the deployment of forces into two separatist independent republics in eastern Ukraine, calling these troops peacekeepers. But President Biden believes it marks the beginning of a Russian invasion. The Pope also invited believers and non-believers to observe a day of prayer and fasting for peace on Ash Wednesday on March 2nd. 
Russian troops entered two breakaway regions of eastern Ukraine on Monday, February 21st. Russian President Vladimir Putin claims to be recognizing the region's independence and keeping the peace, while much of the rest of the world saw it as the beginning of an invasion that could lead to war. The United States, the United Kingdom, and the European Union have all imposed sanctions on Russia in response. On Wednesday, February 23rd, Pope Francis called for all people to pray and fast for peace in Ukraine on Ash Wednesday, March 2nd. It was the second time Pope Francis has called for a day of prayer for peace. But Jerry, while the Pope has called war madness, he continues not to specifically name Russia as the aggressor here. Instead, he called for all parties involved to hold back from any destabilizing action or from violating international law. Now, it's clear that he's talking about Russia. Why wouldn't he just name them? Well, it's a question of how you speak in a way that people will listen to you. Mm. It's important that your message gets through. He, he appealed to the consciences of all those who have political responsibility and all the parties involved in the crisis. And that's pretty large. It includes, obviously, and uh, you don't need to be a genius to understand, it includes Russia and the Ukraine. But it also includes the other parties who, who have been involved in the Ukraine and in the dealings with Russia since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. And that means the United States, NATO, the European Union countries. Russia has accused them of interfering directly in the Ukraine. But the Pope is aware of all this background. So he's not just looking at the immediate act of aggression. He speaks very clearly of the breach of international law. So what the Pope is really interested in is not just naming and shaming people in public. He's aiming at peace. He wants the various actors to find a way, a diplomatic way, a way of dialogue to resolve the situation without going to violence, to war, which will bring immense suffering. It seems, though, that almost everyone would be fine with him shaming Russia, except for Russia itself and maybe the leaders of these breakaway regions that want to be part of Russia. So what position is Pope Francis in here? where he doesn't want to upset Russia. Well, Francis is a religious leader, not a political leader, first of all. Well, he's both, right? I mean, he's a head of state. He's a head of state, but basically as, as a, the head of the Holy See. He's acting basically as a spiritual leader. He appealed today to all Christians, all believers, and also to non-believers to pray and fast for peace. This also is clearly appealing to the fellow Christians in Russia. The Russian Orthodox Church is very close to the Russian government. Mm -hmm. And in fact, on Monday, when President Putin gave his one-hour-long speech, in which he declared that he was recognizing these republics, he mentioned that Ukraine had been interfering negatively with the Orthodox Church. Yeah, give me some background here. What's going on with that? Well, it's a long uh, story. What has happened is Basically, for a long time, you had the Russian Orthodox Church in uh, Ukraine and in Moscow. In recent years, the Moscow Patriarch has become a bigger actor, and the Orthodox people and communities in Ukraine were seen as closely allied to the Orthodox Church in Russia. But then a splinter group began to break away more Ukrainian nationalist, if you wish. Hmm. And they have set up another 
Orthodox Church, which has been recognized by the Patriarch of Constantinople. Patriarch Bartholomew, who Pope Francis is close with. Whom Pope Francis is close with. And this has angered so much the Russian Orthodox Church and the Patriarch of Moscow that they have more or less split with these. And that could pose a problem, right? Because Pope Francis is trying to meet with the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill this summer. Yes. At the end of last week, the Russian ambassador to the Holy See said that the Pope and the Patriarch Kirill of Moscow would meet in June or July. Now, obviously, if Pope Francis uh, takes a very specific position supporting the Ukraine against Moscow, this that will torpedo this situation. Francis has to try to find a way which will not anger the different actors, but which will perhaps open a door for peace. So we see that this political division between Russia and Ukraine is also kind of mirrored in and tangled up with the religious split between the Russian Orthodox and this Ukrainian Orthodox group. Basically, Christianity is divided. And what you have is you have the Russian Orthodox Church, which is supporting the Russian government, and which feels aggrieved for what is happening to the Orthodox Church, which is now split in the Ukraine, and blaming the Ukrainian government partly for this. You mentioned in your story that you filed this morning on Wednesday the 23rd that at his audience, Pope Francis seemed you know, deeply personally bothered by this. Could you talk to me about that? When the Pope spoke at the end of the audience before addressing the Italians, his voice went down a notch. And you could see the suffering in his face. He spoke with emotion, but it was being revealed in both in how he looked and the way he was saying it. He is suffering to see what he called last Sunday, without referring to anybody, Christian peoples ready to fight each other, to considering each other as enemies, when God wants these people to consider each other as brothers and sisters. Right. This is when he was reflecting on the gospel that was love your enemies this weekend. Exactly. And so this morning, he came out with the same message. He said, examine your conscience. You're meant to be looking at each other as brothers and sisters. So we've talked about what the Pope has said in response today, but what responses have we heard from other Catholic leaders, Jerry? Well, the most significant one was perhaps from the major archbishop that's the head of the Greek Catholic Church in Kiev. And he, he came out in a message which was published today, and he called on people everywhere to pray for peace, talking to his fellow citizens in the Ukraine. He says, to defend our fatherland is our natural right and our civic duty. The moment has now arrived to unite our forces to de defend the independence, the territorial integrity, and the sovereignty of the Ukrainian state. A very strong statement. It sounds like he's calling for an armed resistance. Is that right? He doesn't use the word armed, but the president of the country has called for everybody to be prepared to defend it with arms. We also heard from the presidents of the German and Polish bishops' conference, right? Yes, the president of the German bishops' conference, again, condemned the aggression. But they're all also the German Catholic uh, relief agencies are saying, we'll have to help the Ukrainian refugees and migrants. The president of the Polish bishops also called for peace. He appealed to the Christian leaders in Russia and in the Ukraine and in Poland to pray and work for peace. He said, we have a Christian heritage. And he also appealed to Polish Catholics to be ready to open their doors and their homes to refugees who may come if a conflict happens. So everybody is 
fearing a humanitarian crisis if the war really explodes. Right, and it would certainly have ripple effects. So Jerry, we we already see that religion and politics are mixing here. To return to this idea of Pope Francis as a world leader, a political leader, the Vatican does political diplomacy. It has a secretary of state. It's brokered peace deals between countries in the past. I wonder if there's any chance that the Vatican would step in here. The Ukrainians would like the Vatican to step in. They've also said this publicly. I spoke to a senior Vatican official who said that the Vatican is always willing to mediate if they can in a crisis, but it has to be at the express wish and request of the parties in conflict. So it would require Russia to want it as well. And there is no indication that this is coming from Russia. In the face of so much aggression on Russia's part, is there a point at which Pope Francis would openly take a side or openly denounce one country or one individual's actions? Because it feels like we're at that point. Look, Colleen, it's not the only conflict. We've had a conflict going on for years in the Yemen mm-hmm. where tremendous destruction is going on. There's silence, silence in the media, silence everywhere. We've had a conflict going on in Syria for how many years? We're still having real peace in, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. We have conflicts going on in many places. The Pope, his aim is to get peace and to be able to be in a position where he can speak to the actors on both sides, to try to encourage, to try to push, to try to make them aware of of their respective responsibilities. It's not a game of, you know, grandstanding and saying, oh, well, I've called out this one today and this one tomorrow. It's, It's a question of, how you can reach peace. And that's a very delicate question. Right. And this is a conversation that you and I had about Yemen before. We've had it about why Pope Francis isn't calling out China for the persecution of the Uyghurs. It keeps coming up, but the response is always that Pope Francis is trying to keep communication lines open so that he can work towards peace. Exactly. And the other part of it is that war is destruction it is not construction. It's not just going to be something like a football game that you watch two other teams play out. That's not what war is. War is a destructive, deadly process that will produce many deaths, that will break trust even more between people and between leaders, and can destabilize the world. Because if the world's economy is destabilized in a world which is already destabilized by the pandemic, we are going to be in a very bad situation. I think it's time that people began to understand this reality. So we're recording this on February 23rd. It's possible that things will have changed by the time our listeners hear this on Friday. So for our listeners, you can stay updated on any news about the Vatican's response to the conflict in Ukraine at americamagazine.org. And in the meantime, please join us and Pope Francis in praying for peace. We're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll discuss Pope Francis's new exemptions for the Latin Mass. Stay with us. church leaders and the United States are weighing in on new restrictions put in place by Pope Francis 
on the Latin Mass. On Friday, February 4th, 2022, two members of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter were received in private audience by the Holy Father, Pope Francis, for nearly an hour. On Monday, February 21st, the Fraternity of St. Peter, a group of priests dedicated to celebrating the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass, published a decree from the Pope saying the fraternity's members had permission to celebrate the pre-Vatican II Mass. And this comes after Pope Francis tightened restrictions on the Old Mass this summer. Jerry, before we get into this, let's lay out the basics here. What is the Fraternity of St. Peter? The Fraternity of St. Peter is a breakaway section from the Society of St. Pius X, the group set up by Marcel Lefebvre, the archbishop, who was a dissident to the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, and in the final analysis, uh, split with the Pope by ordaining four bishops. So it's a breakaway from a breakaway group. Exactly. These 12 priests from his group at that time split off, and they said, we're not going down that road. We want to stay with the Pope. We respect the teachings of Vatican II. And so they got special permission from John Paul II to set up their own fraternity. And they were given permission to use the 1962 Missal. That was the old Missal before the reform of the Vatican II liturgy. And how many people are we talking about in this group? We're talking about, uh, I think, 340 priests and about 185 seminaries. It, it's it's a tiny little group. Mm-hmm. These mainly celebrate the Eucharist, the Mass in oratories. Some of them a small number work in parishes, but it, it's a very limited group, limited in terms of, of its exercise of the ministry. Uh, they completely and explicitly state, we accept all the teachings of Vatican II. We like the liturgy in this way because it it fosters our faith, etc. But we also express total union with the Pope. So about this decree from the Pope that just came out, it seems weird to me that this was published on the Fraternity of St. Peter's website rather than on the Vatican's website. What do we know about how this all came together? I must say that the, the news came as a surprise in Rome because practically nobody knew about it. The Vatican press office knew nothing. This had been a a meeting, a private meeting between the Pope Francis and the two leading representatives of the Fraternity of St. Peter. He had a good meeting with them, an hour, and they explained to him their situation. And he said, look, when I issued my decree last July, was it? Mm -hmm. On Traditiones Custodes, your situation was not envisaged in my decree. Mm -hmm. Your situation is different. You completely accept the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. You accept the authority of the Pope. You were founded. Your very existence came through the acceptance that you could celebrate the Mass with the 1962 Latin Missal, which was the pre-Vatican II Missal. And so he said, your very existence depends on being able to do that. And in everything else, you accept what I'm asking very clearly is the acceptance of the teachings of Vatican II, union with the Pope. You accept it all. So I give you this exception. Right. When I first heard this, I was like, does this actually change anything? Because this group 
professes loyalty to the Pope, to Vatican II. They didn't seem like they were the ones who were supposed to be targeted by this. And that's the way that Traditionis Custodes was interpreted by most of the bishops here in the U.S., was that it wouldn't affect these groups. So does this actually mark a change? Not really. The fundamental rule that was also part of the Traditionis Custodes also applies to them. Their operation, their ministry in a diocese or in a parish is completely under the discretion of the bishop. So even though this made big headlines, the Pope grants a special exception to the rules of them, it it really doesn't change anything. No, it made headlines because there was little explanation coming with it from the Vatican. Had, Had it been explained simply, it would have been seen that this is a very exclusive, if you wish, exception. If our listeners want to learn more about this story, they can read the story that we've linked in the show notes or visit americamagazine.org. Pope Francis has opened a symposium on the priesthood that has gathered priests, bishops, and theologians from around the world to the Vatican. Its prefect, Cardinal Marc Goulet, explained the need to discuss the priesthood in light of the current abuse crisis in the church. Non bisognerebbe piuttosto astenersi dal parlare del sacerdozio And one last brief story before we go. The Vatican hosted a conference on the priesthood last week where some of the bigger and the more controversial questions about the priesthood were discussed, including the question of celibacy. Now, this conference didn't break any new ground, which is expected, but Pope Francis did take the opportunity to lay out his vision of what a priest should be like. Jerry, what did you have to say? Pope Francis spoke at the beginning, so really he dictated, as it were, the tone of the whole meeting. And he said, look, I'm speaking not from theory, I'm speaking from my personal experience of more than 50 years in the ministry, and I will tell you what I have found and what God has helped me to understand about ministry. And he said, in the ministry, I have found there are four pillars that should be fundamental to the life of every priest. They are summarized in the word closeness, so four pillars of closeness. First, closeness with God. He said, a priest who does not pray who does not build a close relationship with God, will not go far in the ministry, basically. He says, without that closeness to God, you you cannot do the rest. Secondly, he said, closeness to the bishop. And this was surprising, because every priest takes a vow of obedience to the bishop. Many people inside and outside the clergy have seen this as more of a legal operation. Francis says, it's you must not look at it as a legal requirement. What you have to see is it's a bond that binds you into the church. The bishop is there as representing the church. And you're working with him. And you have to try to find a way of remaining close to your bishop, not undermining him, not uh, speaking badly about him, etc., but finding a way where he helps you and you help him. And he said, you have to speak your mind openly to him, sincerely. But he also has a responsibility to listen to you. And together with your bishop, you can discern on the way ahead. What's the third? The third closeness, the third pillar, as it were, is closeness to your fellow priests. It's not the question of creating a little club of friends separated. These are your fellow priests, and you seek 
to build a holy life together, not alone. And he said, this must not be. You must build friendship. And he said, you cannot live celibacy without closeness to God and without closeness, without friends. And he said, otherwise, without closeness to God and without friends, celibacy will become an unbearable burden. Makes sense. I'm guessing number four must be with the people. Absolutely. And this has been a long-standing theme of Pope Francis, that a priest is not there for himself or his own specific sanctification. He's there to be with people, to help them, and together with them to come to God and to carry out the mission. And then he concluded, Colleen, after setting out the four pillars, he came to his usual strong denunciation of clericalism, which he says is a kind of a cancer in the priest, in the clergy, in the priesthood. He said, clericalism is exactly the opposite of this. It is not closeness to people, not closeness to God, not closeness to your fellow priests. He said, it is keeping a distance. And I think for many priests, I've had a lot of feedback on this article. I think for many priests around the world, they resonated with this because Francis was saying, as a priest, you need some concrete measurements by which you know you're carrying out your ministry well. And here are four concrete measurements, not theories, not speculation, not ideas, concrete things that you can do a a check each day on. If our listeners want to read your story, Jerry, on the Pope's speech at this priesthood conference or our further coverage of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and these Latin mass exceptions, they can find all that at americamagazine.org and linked in our show notes. All right, Jerry, thank you so, so much for chatting with me this week. Thank you, Colleen, and I hope our people will be praying for peace. Amen. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Production assistance from Kira Hanlon at America Media and Vivian Richard and Robert Balliser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. If you want to support our work here on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is by purchasing a digital subscription to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.